Welcome to Data Dialogues from Equifax, a podcast about how data-driven insights can power smarter business decisions. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Data Dialogues by Equifax, a podcast where we engage with industry leaders to discuss all things data. I'm Trisha Gabberty, Vice President of Marketing for Equifax, and your host for today's podcast. Today, I am super excited to be joined by our guest, Carol Cruz, whose impressive career includes stops as former CMO of ESPN, Cambia Health, and head of global digital for the Coca-Cola company. Carol is currently on the board of directors of Valvoline. Carol, welcome to Data Dialogues. Thank you for having me, Tricia. In today's podcast, you're going to take us through the art of storytelling through data. Before we go there, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and your amazing career path? Sure. Um, You know, I don't think I have a traditional career path of many marketing leaders. Uh, I did start out in corporate finance, which is a great place to start for any business career. But I kind of missed creativity um, and entrepreneurship. So I got my MBA and I started my brand career at Clorox. So I'm kind of a laundry and home cleaning expert. Um, I was in brand. And then because I was based in Silicon Valley, I did three Silicon Valley startups, had all three experiences. The first one went bust while I was out on maternity leave. The second one, uh, I was employee 27 and we went public. And then the third one I co-founded and it was called Rocket Cash. And within uh, 18 months, we were acquired by the Coca-Cola company. Um, And that's actually how I started at Coca-Cola doing the company's first websites, their first online promotions, and then kind of first digital advertising, mobile, social, everything. And I, um, I worked across the brands for North America for about six and a half years, and then uh, across uh, all brands globally um, for three years. Um, amazing company, amazing job. And then I got a call about being the chief marketing officer at ESPN. And if you like sports, guess what? You got to go for it. And I, I'm not even sure I was believe that I would get it because, wow, everyone wants that job if you like sports. And I said to my husband, should I even go for this? Because we're going to have to move to New York or Connecticut. And he's like, hey, go for it. Um, and I did. I got it. It is an uh, incredible place to work with amazing colleagues and fun, 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 fun for the family. And then um, after that, we, our kids were in college and we got to go someplace where we actually wanted to live, like choose. And we moved to Portland, Oregon, and I joined Cambia Health Solutions, which is a $10 billion non-for-profit health solutions company with Blue Cross Blue Shield health plans and four estates and about 26 startups. And then I did that for four years. And then I had prepared um, for a time and I didn't want to work full time, but I wanted to do board work. And so um, I joined the Valvoline board over two years ago and um, I'm on some startup boards, uh, active in Oregon Venture Fund and um, some public speaking and some coaching, consulting. You know, I have to say, listening to your career, that's a story in itself. And it's just amazing to me and, uh, and pretty exciting to hear. You went from corporate to startup in various forms back to corporate again. You know, and, now, and now you're taking that treasure trove of wisdom and 
using it at these boards. So good for you. And I'm sure that woven through each and every one of these stops has been data, right? And I think that you got your hands dirty with a lot of data at all of these fine places. So let's talk a little bit about that. You you mentioned in our first phone call um, about how data tells the story. And we know interesting facts are typically revealed in data, but tell us a little bit more about how you turn to data to tell your stories. Well, I got to start out by saying I am the firmest believer in the marriage of art and science. You can have great creative, but you if you don't have, first of all, the insights and data to, to create good storytelling, and then if you don't have the data and the insights of where to put that message and when and through what channel, right, you're really missing it. So for me, the marriage of art and science is really data and creative, ultimately, And data helps unlock the story, but it won't tell you everything. So it depends how you define data, right? Because everyone defines data differently. Is it literally only bits and bytes, zeros and ones, right? Is it really only um, hard factual? I've done quantitative data um, via survey, say I'm looking at click streams, I'm um, doing traffic into my store, right? That's hard data. Um, do people include consumer insights in their data? Um, do they consider trends? You know, what kind of societal trends are going on? Are they, you know, adding elements um, like gender or race or sexual preference or Uh, socioeconomic information. That is all data. So it's hard to tell sometimes, but you have data that can help inform your hypothesis. And that's going to be a pretty good hypothesis to start with. But you always need to get the soft side, the non-data side. How are people feeling? Did I make that purchase based on um, safety concerns, based on is that an environmentally correct company? Was it just cost? So some of that, I don't know that I would call that data per se, because those are consumer insights and how they feel and what their motivation is. And that is generally not repeatable. Your your motivation in a purchase might depend on uh, a lifestyle change or if you're working or not, or if you have children or not. So I think it's helpful within a company to decide how you're defining data. Totally agree. And I have to say you packed a lot of really interesting um, thought prompters in there for me. First of all, you talked about you know insights versus data, right? We talked about teasing the story out of it. And I think what comes to mind for me is there are times when, when a marketer will look at data and it begins to map them towards a story, but it can lead to more questions. My question to you then around that is, there are times when you have the input as the sponsor of some research or, or a data query to say, okay, you know, give me X, give me Y, as you said, the hard data. Is it best to go into those queries with a little bit more context as to what you're looking for? Not necessarily to lead the story, um, but rather to have the analysts and the researchers dig a little deeper or is it better to kind of step back, let the data tell you the story and connect the dots on your own and maybe overlay with additional data sets? Okay, so that's interesting because I have two answers. 
So I think we've all had experiences in a company where you do a survey or you get net promoter or satisfaction data, or, you know, you get your, I'll make it up, your mobile app usage for the month. And your colleagues sometimes are going to jump to conclusions. Oh, well, people didn't click on that. They must not want that product. Where maybe you really have a UX UI problem and that button isn't clear, right? Or the journey through the mobile app isn't clear for a user. So that's the first thing is data is both a blessing and a curse, right? Because some people take that first layer of data as gospel and they go with it. And I think the smart data person or marketer says, hey, that's directionally interesting, even if it's quantitative data, let's see what else, right? Because that says one thing, but let's get some other data points. Now, the old school way we used to only be able to do it was I have a hypothesis and I figure out how can I prove these different hypotheses, right? Nowadays, we also have machine learning. It's very different process. So the traditional way is I have some hypotheses, I field some research, I get some either quantitative or qualitative insights or looking at web usage or customer service, store level data, et cetera. And based on that hypothesis, you move down a track. Now, the other way to do it is our customer service people talk to thousands of people every single week. Let's take all of that unstructured call record, recorded, right? Everyone records their customer service calls. Let's take all that unstructured data. And that's like a fact-finding mission. It isn't what I have a hypothesis, I'm going to prove or disprove points. It is, I got a whole lot of data. Let's see what the data tells us. Now, a lot of insights you get might actually be kind of irrelevant, right? Because it's like, I got a lot of data and I'm going to see where the gold is in that pile. But you can find things you would never have thought of because you're not constrained by hypothesis or what you think you already know. The data says this. And a lot of times I have found my colleagues didn't like that because they didn't, they didn't either like what they heard or it wasn't even in their mind. So now you've got this amazing ability to get hidden gems of insights through machine learning, and especially with the unstructured data, and you have a more traditional way of getting it. And when you pull those two together, of course, that's kind of the best of all. I agree with you that you need to factor in that soft data to, 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 um, to help along. But when you find those quote unquote hidden gems or, um, you know, facts about, you know, that kind of disprove what someone had a predisposition to thinking going in. And, and this is a little off the track of data, but how, how do you best tell a client, an executive sponsor, an internal, you know, how, how do you tell that story? I mean, the data is the data, right? It can't lie. So I, to your point, I think it's important to know that with the advances we've made in technologies and in the MarTech stack, et cetera, that you're not so much leading the witness anymore as you used to be able to in those kind of subjectively formed hypotheses. Would you say that that's true? Yes, I would. Um, 
Yeah, we have a lot more true data and um, that's frequently good. But I also believe that sound business judgment and gut instinct are important. And that's when I say I like the marriage of art and science. I never just go with what the data says because the data may not be thinking about the trends that I mentioned. The data would not have told us that COVID was coming. We wouldn't have known that. So the data, once it started, would maybe change how we were doing things. But the data is, there are things that people can't predict. We have a lot of people who try to predict the economy. And right now, there are a lot of different points of view of what's going to happen with the economy in the next 12 months. And all the modeling in the world is not working right now, right? It's so that's where, when I say it's a marriage of art and science, the data will tell us a lot, including great things about sentiment and how people feel that also helps with the storytelling, you know, the emotional connections, et cetera. But at some point, some good judgment and experience and gut can be valuable. So in a recent podcast, we spoke with... Um a department head from Stanford who talked about the importance of data quality. And she was referencing, this was in the fall, you know, the presidential election. She talked about, you know, COVID perceptions, et cetera, and how important it is to make sure that as you're asking, you know, as you're making these queries, um, that the data you're pulling is important in, in terms of market research, really studying the source of the data, Right. And how the, the data was pulled. Was it a phone interview? Was it a man in the street interview? Uh, because to your point, I think all of those softer sides, that sentiment, I could be having a bad day and answer that question as such. So I, I think it's important, as you say, to really have that, that finely tuned uh, gut check and that inquisitiveness to say, OK, so let's not take the data at first blush. Yes, let's overlay it right, with, with some additional data points and some consumer sentiment to help maybe layer the story and give us a bit more of a composite. That's what I'm hearing as you're kind of walking us through this. It is. And there is some magic to selling things in a company, right? So when you're new in a company, you it's harder to anticipate what kind of objections there would be or what are the touchy points, right? Or preconceived notions. But once you've been at a company, you tend to know what some of the barriers of accepting data are. And so I always found that I would try to talk with folks conceptually first and tease out what those dis what those either long-held beliefs are or what they're just going to they're not going to believe the data and why. So if you can think ahead of presenting this information. So one of the things that you mentioned, Tricia, is, you know, how do you get people to believe the data? Or sometimes they don't like the results of the data, or it's different than their preconceived notion, or it's against what they thought was right. And what I've found over the years is the best thing you can do is talk to people first about the data you're looking to get. And as you kind of say, hey, we're going to do this research, we're gathering this data about X, Y, and Z, try to get people to find out ahead of time what preconceived notions they have. They might go, oh, yeah, you don't really need to do that because, of course, it's going to be blue, 
right? It's like, well, maybe not. Or talk about the means of data collection so that you will know what some of those barriers are or some of those objections or what they're not going to believe or doubt. And if you get those insights first, then when you conduct your research or use your machine learning um, or gathering data from other third-party partners, and if one of those third-party partners, no one's going to believe the data, then don't bother, right? So a little conversation first, I think, can help people predict where there might be barriers or disbeliefs or where it just doesn't really matter what the data says, you're going to go do it a certain way anyway. A couple other things that that your conversation is bringing to mind is one is, how would you coach someone or guide someone on, on just drawing out the data if they don't have the if their systems are not integrated, if it's difficult for them, they're kind of in the queue to to, you know, get their queries pulled um, by IT or whomever, depending on the size of the company. What are the methods or approaches that you could counsel a marketer to take in terms of, of getting at the insights that that they're looking for. If it's not going to be relatively easy to get to the first party data, speak to me a little bit about that, about internal versus external. I used to think that so many companies focused on gathering so much data, most of which they never actually could act on. Great. You have all this data and maybe you have all these learnings and insights, but you, if you can't act on that data, then it's not, why bother? A little bit, right? Now, with machine learning, if you gather a whole bunch of data, but you're not sure what to do with it, with machine learning, you might gather some very interesting insights. But what I would do is I tend to suggest to people back from what, okay, most people know something that either there's an opportunity in their company, or there's a competitive threat, or their sales are going down, right? There's some business issue that you are trying to work towards and you are using data to solve that question. So a lot of people, I think, waste a fair amount of time on on gathering data that isn't actionable. So what I would suggest is prioritize the data you need to make good decisions. Some of it is like, oh, if only we had that, it could be better. And I'd say significantly better or 5% better. Well, guess what? Let's focus on getting 90% better and action on that. And we can fine tune. And I think, um, what's that saying? Perfect is the enemy of good. Yes. That was going to be my next question was, do you feel most business people use data well? Right. For example, using it to guide sales or marketing initiatives for customer experience, Love to hear your thoughts on that because I do think that we it's easy to get away from ourselves and perhaps chase down to your point a little bit more data that than is really necessary to action upon. I agree. Um, when I moved into healthcare, true like PhD data scientists are right now so drawn to healthcare because it's one of the greatest data sets that has been untapped. I think we all feel through our healthcare experiences that they aren't tapping into data because nothing seems very personalized. You can tell when someone has a great consumer experience or customer experience and some industries don't. I think many companies aren't starting from your customer or your consumer back. So again, what's your business issue? Well, why don't you start 
not what you think it is, but start with your end user, whether you're B2B or B2C. Start there with the people who use your product or the people who are making buying decisions. Start there because one of the best things you can do to improve your business is to focus on that experience. What is that customer experience, that end user experience? That is a great place to start prioritizing because at the end of the day, most or many companies are trying to improve or change an end user's experience or behavior. And as in your earlier examples, I think it can sometimes be a bit of an epiphany and a bit enlightening to put yourself into the shoes of the end user. Yeah. And, and, and to see, oh, well, wait a second. We didn't, we didn't factor this in, yes. right. Or we, we were a little too tactical getting to, to market versus taking other factors into account that could make the product either more optimized or the delivery better, you know, or even how we market it, right. How, how we pitch or, or sell the product um, to that c- customer. I think that's especially happened as in a Six Sigma world, like I'll, I'll use healthcare again, you know, hospital systems are, are Six Sigma to death, right? I mean, they use Six Sigma and that's great because it reduces costs, but then you feel if you walk into a hospital that you might be a number because emotions are kind of messy in a Six Sigma world. Um, unpredictability is not good in a Six Sigma world. If you start thinking about your end user, and then you're going to back all the way through to supply chain at some point, but what really makes a difference to the person either you are serving via a service, a product, um, whatever your B2B software is, I think that's a good place to start. I had a colleague who we were listening to people, caregivers' challenges of being a caregiver. And he looked over, he's like, Carol, are you crying? I said, yes. Can you feel her pain, her frustration, her conflict? He's like, no, I'm not really very empathetic. So I made him go to three cities with me. And by the end, he said, I looked over, he was crying at one point. And he said, this empathy is exhausting. I said, yes, it is. He said, but now I am so fired up. Now I have so many more ideas about product design. Your customers are your best motivators, right? And 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 they're there yes. and they want us to talk to them yeah. and they they want us to listen to them. Um, so yes, that's that that to me is the best data source. And I actually think your customer service, whether it's voice or online or you know what whatever means you collect customer service information and give out customer service information is a gold mine. And I am so surprised how few companies actually use that information. And again, now in the machine learning day, you can take all those phone calls, they convert it to text and, and the machine learning does its thing. Um, when I was at Coca-Cola and I was head of digital, so you'd think like, why? first of all, why do people call Coca-Cola for customer service? always a bit of a mystery to me as well. Um, But uh, those folks, I go out to the customer service center every quarter and tell me what are, what's on people's minds. Do they like the website? Yeah, that's fine. But they don't like this new cherry pib or something, right? You know, but it's just, it was a gold mine to just talk to the folks who are interacting 
with your customers every day. I couldn't agree with you more. It's it sort of reminds reminds me of undercover boss and and programs like that because I record I re- remember listening it once a quarter. It was a requirement of my job in another company to to sit in the customer service field and listen listen to live calls as they came in, and a lot of them could be um, a lot of them could be uh, you know kind of run of the mill. What are your hours or how do I go about? disputing a charge or whatever it might be. But there are others that come in that absolutely give rise to something that you had no idea was going on, right? Or a product that didn't work the right way or what have you. So yeah, I, I think that that's, that's key. Now, the danger of course is with focus groups is because they're like, well, that person in Texas said, I'm like one person Directionally interesting, certainly not significant, but it helps with a hypothesis. It helps. And for me, it helped me get other people to better understand. So when I was sharing quantitative data, it helped, you know, they had a context, as you had mentioned earlier, they had a context to understand this. Yes, because then you, it perks your ears up, um, Focus groups are notorious for having that one loud voice in the room. Uh, so you do, you, I agree, you have to be careful that there may be something there. But, you know, let's pull on that thread and see, because it may just be that one person's opinion. Um, I have a question, not to put you on the spot, but are you able to provide an example where you've combined creative with actionable data to create that beautiful marriage of art and science? Many times. Um, I think I can share this. When I was at ESPN, uh, we were working on who are most valuable sports fans. At at ESPN, you call your customers sports fans because that's who was going to the website, using the apps, playing fantasy football, joining Insider, watching TV, radio, magazine, right? Very, very omni-channel. So looking at the data, it was interesting because we knew that people who played fantasy football tended to also use, connect with ESPN through multiple channels. So that was good data. But then we would combine it with, I'm going to call them insights. We did research in bars of people watching sports in a bar. We went to people's homes. We went to stadiums. And so we married how people felt about sports, their love of sports, and why they loved ESPN specifically versus perhaps other networks. And what was it about ESPN and the brand that they liked so much? And so we took why ESPN and what they love about sports, the emotions, and married it with the we want more people to choose ESPN for their fantasy sports leagues versus going to MLB or going to Yahoo Sports, et cetera. So that was great. We know who we want to target, but how can we make a really compelling message to get people to switch their behavior? And I mean, I think most of your listeners know that switching someone's behavior is harder than getting to try your product the first time. So, Carol, I have one last question to, to ask of you, and that is there are some of us out here 
who are a bit intimidated by data. Right? I'm not a data scientist. Um, I may not know how to crunch through that raw data. So, you know, for the average layman, how do I overcome my fear of data to, to be sure that I can work with it and use it? That is a great question. Um, I am a self-professed data geek. I mean, I am, but I wasn't. I mean, I was a liberal arts major, right? I, I didn't take math in college. I, I had to take I had to take statistics when I got my MBA. Um, so I think a couple of things. One is most data scientists who are PhDs, they know they're smarter than anyone else in the room. So you, you don't have to worry about sounding smart because they know they are so smart. And I just asked people questions. So I think that part of it is, is recognizing that no one expects you to know everything. You know, if you don't know what a regression analysis is, or you know nothing about machine learning, even the concept, I don't have to do this. I don't crunch the numbers, right? But I understand what they're doing so that I can ask the right questions. So I think some of it is saying, yeah, I'm not a math whiz. I have never taken classes in this, but I'm smart enough to figure out what the value is. And I'm smart enough to ask questions. And I have just found people who are so much more knowledgeable about this than me being really helpful. And I think if you're willing to open your mind and want to learn and not get over that, I'm going to sound stupid or I'm going to ask a stupid question then I think most people who make that their life and that's their expertise, I found everyone wants wants you to understand, wants you to value. And then that they know that that partnership is good too because they know the data, but you're bringing in a business side or a human emotional side. And together, you're really much stronger. Carol, thank you again for being our guest. Uh, it was amazing listening to all of the great career stops you've made, but also how you put data to use in helping to tell the stories. Uh, You've also given us a lot of great insights on, you know, how to approach data, how to use it internally, what to look for externally, um, you know, not wasting time using things that are actionable. So thank you again for this plethora of best practices. And we hope that um, we can have you back again sometime. Well, I would love that. This is definitely a topic that I have a lot of passion and, you know, especially not data in a void, right? It's it's not data in of its own, but how data can improve people's lives, customer service, um, better product design, better experience design, um, so many things. And um, and that marriage of, of art and science um, is important because if you only have one or you only have the other, it won't work. You have the data, but not the storytelling. Or if you have great creative, but it's not based on true insights and information, then it's a pretty video, but it may never be seen. So thanks to today's guest, Carol Cruz, former CMO of ESPN and Cambia Health, current board of directors member at Valvoline. If you liked today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our podcast series. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Data Dialogues from Equifax. If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button to be notified of future episodes and leave us a review.
To keep our legal team happy, we'd like to remind you that nothing in this podcast is legal advice, and we recommend to always consult with your own legal representative to ensure your data use is handled properly. Also, the opinions and views expressed in the podcast are not intended as hard facts and advice. They're also not necessarily the views of Equifax. Equifax.